Welcome to Below the Line, where we talk about working in Hollywood from the crew perspective. My name is Skid. I'm a former assistant director and your host. It's our third annual Oscar series, where film industry professionals discuss the category of their expertise. And today kicks off week two. We're releasing two episodes per week, and that'll take us right up to the 94th Academy Awards on March 27th. This episode, we're talking about production design, and I've got three art department veterans I'm welcoming back to the show. First, Sam Osenko, production designer. Hi, I'm happy to be here. Next, Regina Graves, set decorator. Hi, thanks for having me. And finally, Carrie Weeks, lead man. Hey, Sam. Hey, Regina. Good to see you guys. Listeners, if you want to learn more about our panel, please look them up on the Internet Movie Database. Below the Line has its own page on IMDb, so it's easy to start on a specific episode and simply click through to the film credits of our guests. The five films recognized by the Academy for Production Design are Dune, Nightmare Alley, The Power of the Dog, The Tragedy of Macbeth, and West Side Story. We're going to discuss them in that order, and spoilers are possible, so consider this a warning. First up, Dune. Production design by Patrice Vermette. Set decoration, Susanna Sippos. It's nice to see an exp- a continuing exploration of themes in terms of an aesthetic language that he had started to play with in Blade Runner 2049. I was wildly impressed and watched the film uh, the way it was meant to be seen on an iPhone on a subway. Um, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> um, it's hard for me to say whether or not the visual language that he's developing as a filmmaker is a consistent theme that he'll continue to explore outside of the, the sequel to this and perhaps the pool he was playing in in Blade Runner. It's very, um, it's very m- kind of milky and beautiful but I don't know how it's going, how well it's going to age. Right now, it feels very fresh, but in 10 years, it might be a very dated visual language. So I'm very curious to see how I feel about this over time. I also, um, I'm curious to have, uh, I, I wonder what, uh, what Dennis Gassner, who was the designer on Blade Runner 2049, would have done with this, because I feel like it, um, in its in its weakest moments, it felt almost like a visual rehash of that of that kind of um, exploration. So in that regard, it was it was so overwhelmingly beautiful that I'm like, okay, that was kind of the weak point for me. But it's also, you know, it's an unmakeable book <laughs> that was that that was turned into an unmakeable movie, then an unmakeable television series, and now uh, again they're they're trying. So um, in terms of the amount of effort and the the source language that it's stemming from it's it was a tall order and it's it's wildly impressive i you know there's only so much you can say about something in which the 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 consideration has to shift in prep from a um an overwhelming environmental attitude towards production versus like how much of this language we have to deal with in post-production but some of those some of the smaller set pieces the ones that I like the most are the ones that he also had done in, in Blade Runner, which is kind of those, you know, those stark stone walls with, with light casting across them and stuff like that. That's the stuff for me where I'm just, it's revelatory. And then everything else is just kind of unnecessarily grandiose, I think. Mm-hmm. Quick question. When you reference Blade Runner, um, mm-hmm. are you referring to the, the second Blade Runner that came out a few years yeah, ago? Yeah, Blade or- Runner 2049, his Blade Runner. Yeah. Which- okay. 
Denis Villeneuve's Blade Runner, right? Right. So sort correct. of, in, you've seen some of the same visual language there. Yeah, and I, and I think that it's a, a very functional. Blade Runner twenty forty nine was a really great primer for him to go in this direction. I uh, and and you've seen this logical progression with the uh, the Alien movie that he had done bef- before that one, uh, which which I had some issues with. But yeah, I think overall it was it wildly impressive, mm-hmm. but also ultimately. And I, I have some of the same thoughts about West Side Story, but I'll, I'll hold off until we get there. But uh, over, it's just overwhelmingly sanitized uh, in its own visual language a little bit. Well, I have to agree with you on a lot of it as from a decorator standpoint. I mean, I went into the theater and I was just first taken over. The, I love the movie. Um, so I was probably taken in with the cinematography the colors of everything, like everything was just so beautiful. Everything, the, the sound was was really great. And I was just consumed by the whole, by everything, the look of it, the sound of it. But from a decorator standpoint, I really love the way they use kind of like the brutalist looking architecture and then the kind of uh, Japanese or like the uh, Mayan influence furniture and the lighting. I, I mean, I just, I was kind of taken in by the whole experience of it all. But um your point of how how it might last for the like let's look back at it in 10 years but as a whole I think it was really beautiful and I don't know I just felt like in the whole moment of it and I think the the decorator did an unbelievable job with the furniture you know the furnishings and even like the textile choices and because being in that time period is just so hard to get furniture and to make sets look the right way because it's so futuristic you just can't like shop it in, in the nearest store um, and I just loved all their choices and everything they did with it. That's my take on it. <laughs> I'm going to chime in now. I, I walked away going, wow. I saw it in the theater. I saw it on a big screen. And as I was walking out of the movie, I thought, I want to go back and see that again. Now, I'm a, I'm a huge sci-fi fan. I'm, uh, I loved the book when I read it years ago. I hated the first movie with uh, Sting. <laughs> that was awful. But this, I just thought they hit the nail on the head so beautifully. Um, it, it reminded me, I guess this had a lot to do with the aspect ratio in which it was shot, but it reminded me visually a lot of like Lawrence of Arabia. And in that sense, I I got to disagree. I think this film's going to visually is going to age extremely well. I wasn't saying that I don't think it will. I'm just, I'm wondering like how, you know, our passions towards brutalism ebb and flow, whether or not, we this this it'll fall out of vogue or come back into vogue and how cyclical it is i'm I, like i i'm not saying i won't love the way this movie looks in 10 years i'm just curious how it will be interpreted in 10 years mm-hmm. okay from an architectural standpoint i can't stand brutalism it uh leaves me uh, cold and um somehow feeling uh <laughs> in despair whenever i see you know a lot of brutalist architecture but for some reason in this uh I, I thought as a vernacular, it works so well in this world. Yeah. And, uh, and to your point, Regina, about the, uh, the decoration, I, again, I thought they did a beautiful job of taking items that might look extremely familiar in, in their natural context, but then putting them in a world or an environment where they seemed new and fresh, so familiar, but not... Oh, that's, you know, um, an Indonesian chair from Bali or whatever, you know, it, it, 
it all fit as a piece. And so um, I, I, I do need to see see it again because uh, I was so taken in the first viewing and uh, I haven't found the time to go back. And I'm also struggling with the idea. I think at this point I'm going to have to watch it on my TV and that doesn't fill me with um, hope. <laughs> There was a, a beautiful approach towards these kind of stark interior spaces, but like ornate carved furniture pieces and stuff in mm -hmm. which there's this gorgeous juxtaposition between kind of organic matter and negative space. I thought that was really effective. Mm -hmm. If I had the wherewithal, I would love to do a, a Blade Runner 2049 Dune double feature and watch them both in the same day. Yeah, I'm going to have to go back and see Blade Runner 2049. I had a lot of issues with that uh, from a narrative standpoint, mm -hmm. um, but visually i remember it being you know beautiful so i'd like to see that again that's a good mm -hmm. point compare them what is interesting sam that you pointed out there's a similar visual style but we do have a switch of production design between mm -hmm. these two films and uh not familiar with anything behind the scenes there but denis villeneuve is clearly the through line on some of these issues you're talking about Oh yeah, certainly. So it, that's that's what I mean. If if Gassner had done it, I'm I'm curious to see how much of this is, is Villeneuve versus how much of this is uh, a collaborative effort of understanding the source material and uh, working through it as an art department. You know, he he very well may be you know uh, a puppet master more than a collaborator. I don't know. Regina and Carrie, something you guys mentioned that I wanted to draw out a little more as well. You reminded me of a conversation we had last week with the costume design where they talked about even though this movie is set far in the future, you see threads and interpretations of current looks in the sense that it's not blown out futuristic. And when you guys were talking about the choices of the furniture and set decoration in general, it sounds like there's a similar idea that it's sort of a future, but it's not unknown to us. Definitely. And I think they did a really beautiful job with that. Like you see him, you know, reading, reading old books and there's old artwork. And um, again, where he's, where Timothy is, um, I forget his character's name in the movie, but when he's, you know, learning how to fight and there's all the Japanese architecture in the room, it doesn't look like um, current period, but it also doesn't look futuristic. So you are, it, there's a really nice in between there. It really pulls you in as, you know, as the viewer into the story. For me, it did at least. And like Carrie said, I walked away saying, wow, like I, I was kind of blown away with the whole the whole movie as a whole, every piece of it. I think that's another reason why it worked, why I, I was so impressed by it was that it did seem so original in in its look that I believe that this was another world, not Earth. So to pull that off while using similar materials and things that didn't look completely, I, I don't know created out a whole cloth was especially impressive there there are moments in it where you, you can pause it and look and there's bookshelves with books like they're not yeah, completely yeah. alien yeah. um which no, is which no. it's, it's a really interesting approach yeah and i suppose if i go back and read the book uh there'd probably be references to things like that as well in within frank herbert's original book you brought up an interesting point sam which was uh and i was trying to do a little research on this just before we got on about where the line was between reality and the digital post effects that they put in. I couldn't really find anything about that, but that always makes me a little suspect, you know, I'm sure in the, like the huge exterior scenes, uh, there's a lot of 
digital aid put into those scenes? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's like what I have seen at least in the last two years is, um, and I have absolutely no no proof to back it up. It feels as if production designers in general are starting to be a more engaged part of the post-production process, which is great. I, even on stuff I'm on, I'm getting CC'd on emails well into post where even if I'm not the loudest voice in the room in terms of what they're doing with CGI, at least everybody's listening to what I have to say. And I have seen that critical shift in the communication chain, which is great. But I got to be honest, when I watch a movie of any broad scope now, whether it be a uh, lavish period or uh, otherworldly, in terms of considerations for production design achievement, I'm kind of just looking at the first floor of any building <laughs> immediately around the actors and the friend that the left and the right third of the next building over. And then everything else I'm assuming was a conversation about how best to approach, you know, cause it's all set extension now and everything anyway. Yeah. What's nice is you get a really, really subtle VFX person who throughout the process is talking to the production designer, making sure that whatever that set extension is, is disappearing as opposed to singing. You know, that was the problem I had last year with Mank was that every time there was a broad scale exterior shot, it was like, oh, shoot me in the head. It's just so, so VFXed out. I think, you know, this is a scenario where it's like, if you can't tell where it ends, even if the critical judgment point being the line where it transcends into VFX, then great. That's it. You did it. It should never be the loudest voice in the room. And in this, in particular, it's like you have these giant, these giant slugs in the desert. You know, it's like, um, this is something in which I think it's handled very well for the, for the size and scope you're, you have to deal with for something like that. I just wanted to comment briefly on, uh, I'm glad to hear that production designers are becoming more of a, voice in the visual effects and post-production yeah well, i mean listen we're not getting paid for it but it is but it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's definitely nice to be to be included in in those kinds of discourses yeah for sure well it only makes sense because it's the continuation of the world that is that we are setting up as a production designer and a decorator and as a you know as the crew of the lead men dressing that that we've had at least a decade of development of it as a, a craft and then a period of reactionary kind of uh, knee-jerk uh, director saying, no, 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 it's got to be all practical. I think now it has settled into a place of practicality. You know, if, if you want to draw parallels to the early days of cinema with magic tricks in, on silent film, it's like, okay, we've settled into what we are capable of uh, with the craft, even if it's ever evolving. And now it's a tool as opposed to, uh, you know, a, a soloist. Second film on our list today, Nightmare Alley, production design by Tamara Deverell and set decoration by Shane View. I uh, traditionally have not been a Guerrero del Toro fan, but I got sucked in. I, I, re I really liked it. I saw the color version. I didn't see the... Uh, the black and white version, which I'd like to see while it's still doing its its theatrical run. I've always kind of thought his movies are um, impressive in scope, but a little hammy, a little ham-fisted. But I thought that what I perceived as weaknesses in his other works played to his strengths in this one. And it was so enjoyable. And every time I want to hate Bradley Cooper, I wind up fucking loving the guy. <laughs> I, yeah, it's so fun in in some ways way more fun than the 1948 version. Uh I think it's 1948. I was really blown away the reveal of the psychologist's office when that door opens. That what a set that was. Mm -hmm. The level of scenic detail and uh, just 
beautifully ornate deco wood inlay stuff was just devastating. That set was absolutely breathtaking. Yeah, I was I was really blown away. It was consistently a very fun and enjoyable experience in which the nod to old Hollywood is prevalent in the look the entire time, but never overwhelming. And that's pretty tough to do with a, a freak show circus movie. I was really, really impressed. So I have to agree with Sam on this one. I love Guillermo, though. Um, I love all his movies. I love the way they look. I love Pan's Labyrinth. I love Shape of Water. That would be like my dream to work on one of his films. Nightmare Alley, from start to finish, it was just like every scene there. Was, it was just beautiful. One was one was more beautiful than the next. I love the whole creepiness of the show, the circus, all the homes, uh, Tony Collette's house. The backstages of all the circus, the Art Deco was to die for. Like you said, that office, Kate Blanchett's office was just unreal. The uh, hotel where they were living. I mean, one set was just better than the next and told the whole story. And the colors, I, I don't know. I just, again, I walked out of that movie theater just saying, wow. Yeah, I just can't say enough about it. <laughs> Tracking the, those furnishings down in particular is getting really tough. Not only have yep. decorators been plagued with supply chain issues for the last uh, two mm -hmm. years, but a movie on the eve of World War II, you really, especially when you're dealing with a poverty class, you have to dress it like it's 1920. And that stuff is now 100 years old. It is very hard to effectively find that dressing yeah. and to pepper it in, especially in the residential interior across the street from the oh, permanent it was so great. camp. It was so good. Yeah, the level of detail, everything. Yeah, dec the, the decoration, I think, was really the high point of the movie. Yeah. That would that would have been a dream job to uh, shop for. Would have just just going into all the layers of things. Who is the decorator? Shane. Oh right, yeah, just wildly impressive, wildly impressive. And he also did the Shape of Water. I mean, he does he does beautiful work. Never met him, but he does really great work. So I'm very impressed by that movie. I hated it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I agree with both of you. It was astounding. The color palette. I was in love with from the very first shot mm -hmm. to the very end. I just love the palette. Every set was gorgeous. Actually, my one, um, it's funny, my wife brought this up, the Art Deco set, Kate Blanchett's office. And she just posed the question of, was it too much? Was it just too decoy? I'm not sure. We kind of mm. tossed it around a little bit. It did sort of stand out from everything else. I think because it was so intensely deco, but they brought you into a deco building. It was from the hallway to the elevator to even the back hallways. It was all of the period or of that uh, architectural style. So I don't know. As a showpiece set halfway through the movie, it's not... Um... I didn't subconsciously take it in as what what a realistic deco interior space should have been. And instead, it felt more like we're in a movie. The approach felt more intentionally cinematic and hearkening back to movies of the 30s than, than an actual interior space. And for me, I didn't, I didn't necessarily bump on it. I think your point is incredibly valid. And yes, it's, it's absolutely over the top in terms of scope. But it's also a really fun interior to spend 30 mm -hmm. minutes of the movie in. So in that regard, especially since we've been, we've been subjected to such poverty and it's such a critical high point for his character financially that it, it's so nice that it is such a juxtaposition from the beginning and the end of the movie. 
It was, and I love the the high tech version of it too. The microphones and the recorder that came out of the cabinet. It was it was mm -hmm. beautiful. All of that. Yeah, it had like that ode to like a film noir mm. movie. So I, I just like the whole, and I could see how you saying like it might have been a little bit too much, but I think it fit perfectly in in that film for that character, and it just worked. There was the uh, the single of the two mics attached to the desk, and it just it just a pop, just like nobody's in the mm -hmm. frame, clean shot out of those microphones. That was great. Yeah. I like love it, that. <laughs> yeah, like his girl Friday or something. Yeah. And Regina, when you're talking about the character decision, so except for her introduction, I believe that all of Kate Blanchett's scenes take place in that office. And so, would it be? a character decision to decorate it the way it did? In other words, is it meant to say something about her? And would that be a discussion they would have had? I think so. I think that the office, because it centers around her and she's a woman and she's powerful and she's also very well put together and has style. I think all of that kind of translates in that office. And again, it's a juxtaposition of how his character, you know, he came from nothing and he was in the circus and they have no money. And then it's at his high point where they're where, where he's making the money. I just think it all fits the colors, everything. But it, it would definitely be a, a conversation. Don't you think, Sam? I think it would be a conversation with the director and, and how that character is viewed. And um, yeah, of course, I'm sure there were countless conversations about she's a predator. We're in her cage now and visual parallels between that and, and the geek cage stuff. I'm sure I'm sure that was a consideration to what extent it was executed is a little hard to say because it doesn't to me, it didn't feel like anything other than a high deco interior office. There, you know, I'm sure uh, the casement glass windows or something. It was like, oh, it's like prison bars or light. Uh, who knows? But I, I, yeah, there's definitely this sense of, uh, you know, we're we're in the hornet's nest. That if my cursory 3 a.m. viewing of the movie is any bellwether, I'm sure I'm sure they verbalized it on set. You know. As you referenced at the start, Sam, this film was released first in full color and then later in black and white. As a production designer, what's your reaction to that? He and his DP had been talking about potentially shooting this in black and white and then decided against it when they started doing camera tests. So I, I believe that from what I understand, they were checking monitor for both, but they were lighting for color and then did a complete a complete second color correct for black and white after the thing was in the can. So I don't doubt that they were probably being considerate of both. In my experience, I think that black and white, um, I, I would approach black and white with a sensitivity to color anyway, knowing that I have more latitude. Black and white is, uh, you have a language in which you can go, you can push further with color because really rich silver tones will sing. Uh, so, it's safer to probably address it for color, knowing that you can get more out of it in post with black and white if if you head in that direction. But but from my understanding, they were they were doing both at the same time. Well, thanks for those insights. The third film on our list is The Power of the Dog, production design by Grant Major and set decoration by Amber Richards. So, like I said in the beginning, I saw this movie um, three times. It's probably my favorite movie of the year as far as like story and everything well maybe not. I don't, it's just so hard this year there's so many good movies but the design on this I was really taking with because of its film location I mean it's set in Montana but they filmed it in New Zealand I love the fact that they built this home 
uh, in the middle of New Zealand to look like Montana. And it's just so austere. And I love the way it's decorated. You know, it's just so um, it's big, it's grand, but it's kind of like empty. And it, it just evokes the whole feeling of the movie for me. And I love the, I don't even know, the, the barn. Um, Rose is the little city where, where Rose has her bed and breakfast. That was all built, I'm pretty sure. And her little bed and breakfast was all kind of like these found objects, but it was so beautiful. Again, this movie was another one that just sucked me in from beginning to end. The way it looked, the way it was shot, everything about it. As far as the design standpoint, I really can't chime in on the technical parts of it. I know that they built everything. I know that they only built the house up to the second level because they ran out of money or they didn't have enough money and they put the, the steeple on at the end that they use like this craftsman style home that's really seen only in the East, but because this family, I guess, has a backstory and they, they are originally from the East coast and then came into money supposedly and the parents built this house out in Montana. It has all these kind of like Eastern influences into it. Um, then this, the, the home was like left to the sons where they also have like this kind of weird backstory, I guess. And that's why they sleep in a bedroom together instead of having separate rooms in this huge house. But the house is grand, but also feels kind of like cold and empty the whole time. And I guess it just points to, to the whole storyline. And I think it was done very well and very beautifully. I, too, love this movie. I'm a big Jane Campion fan anyway. The house was amazing. It almost felt like they took the cold expansiveness of the Montana interior and somehow put it inside the house. When you stepped inside the house, it didn't feel like you stepped into a warm, safe enclosure it still felt slightly threatening, very threatening, actually, inside that house, particularly when, when Rose was there. But even with the interaction between the brothers or, or the help, there was just this underlying feeling of tension and potential violence that somehow came out in the sets as well. Great movie, great casting, beautifully shot. Uh, I got a question, though, for you. Somehow when I found out that, oh, it was shot in New Zealand, I always get a little, oh, you know, I always want these things to be shot in the location where they're supposed to be. Uh, does that ever bother you at all, Regina or Sam? Sometimes it does, but I was listening to a really good podcast between the designer and the decorator, and they were talking about filming it where it was. And they were saying, I mean, Jane had visited Montana, Grant was saying, and because Montana's changed so much and they and they wanted this kind of landscape uh, from the 1920s that and they found it, you know, in, in New Zealand that Montana wasn't going to work for them. And I'm sure it's probably a little bit more convenient to shoot it in New Zealand because that's where they, they all are from. But yeah, I mean, sometimes it does bother me. I hate when a movie is supposed to be set in New York. And as New Yorkers, you can tell it's not shot in New York. It's in Canada or Atlanta or somewhere else. Um, so sometimes it does bother me. The female-led Ghostbusters was shot in Boston as New York. It was just, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just, um, yeah. Yeah, I it's a case by case. I think you want to surround yourself with a team of people who probably share that critical baseline. Like, yeah, of course we should shoot in the real place. When you're dealing with broad landscape stuff, finding old growth tree line is very complicated in the eastern half of the United States in particular, and as you head out west. So it's very hard, you know, if you're doing a Lincoln Abe Lincoln film, uh, Kentucky looks nothing like what Kentucky looked like. And, and, and part of that is radical changing of the 
age of the trees. Uh, so stuff like that forces you to push. I think I'm, I'm a born and bred New Yorker, but if you tell me we're doing 1940s New York, I'm probably going to want to look at Hoboken. You know, I, I, I think that it's probably a case by case. So I, I don't want to poo poo it inherently. Uh, you know, if, if you have an effective approach and everybody's on the same page about it, I think that it, it can sometimes be a little bit easier, you know, the, they did. They didn't have dinosaurs, and they still made Jurassic Park. So I think I think you you have to yeah. you have to be open to the fact that you know the tapestry of environments shift enough that it is it is critically sometimes impossible to actually achieve it in in the place where you want it. You really wish it could be. No, without a doubt. I just felt that in, in this instance. I mean, Montana is an enormous state. I find it difficult to believe that they couldn't find the. the vistas in the landscape still <laughs> still an enormous, enormous yeah. state with no tax incentive <laughs> and, and and a population of like two hundred thousand people so but nevertheless it was it was gorgeous i i it was only in retrospect that i found out that it was new zealand and not montana so the whole time i was watching it i totally believed it was montana yeah so Carrie and regina when you guys talked about the interior of the house and the feeling there I think it brings up an interesting point that we have discussed before on these uh, review episodes. It's not in your face, and yet you have an important contribution to the story going on here through the production design. I think that's the sort of what you've noticed. I didn't notice explicitly, but I love hearing you pull it out. And again, I think this seems like a good example of what you're trying to do with production design. Definitely. I mean, I think the house was supposed to make Rose feel uncomfortable. And I think it did its job and, and the way um, the way it was kind of like really, like I said, again, vast and dark and she always complained of being cold. And I think Phil would always turn off the heat for some reason or another, I think to make her purposely uncomfortable. And that's what like drove her to drink and, and just kind of like go out of her mind. And she just really always found herself in her bedroom where I think the bedroom became like this hideout for her. And if you notice, the bedroom had the most color in the whole house, and it, it kind of felt a little bit grandiose with the very large furnishings. And um, I'm not sure if that was meant to evoke anything, but it just the, her her little sanctuary in that room where she just drank felt like she just drank her days away. Kind of felt different from the rest of the house. Not that it was any warmer, but it just felt like maybe that was like her prison, and maybe that there was a reason for it. And like Carrie was saying before, how the Montana, the landscape, you always felt that inside the house. I also think there were a lot of great shots of when you were in the house, you see like this vast landscape outside and you see like the darkness and then you see through the window and you see like the bright landscape. I think there was maybe a reason behind all that. The fourth film on our list is The Tragedy of Macbeth, production design by Stefan Duchant and set decoration by Nancy Hay. And haze and fog provided by... <laughs> Uh, what what a what a good looking picture though. Uh, my my goodness, it is so heavily steeped in uh, you know uh, kind of uh, passion of Joan of Arc, uh, Carl Dreyer baseline rules of old cinema that I uh, it's just it, it is shocking shockingly beautiful and I think it's for me it is one of the finer examples of collaborative efforts between production design and cinematography because composition of those frames is so integral in a, in a, um, in a stage play theatrical sense. Uh, but foreground 
silhouetted features and stark lighting elements are playing to to the strengths of those sets. And it's also, you know, if you read into it, a lot of that stuff is high post-war modernism that they're using. That, that's, that's you know, uh, Baragon houses and these kind of uh, plaster wall elements that architecturally do not align with the, the, the tenets of 1920s and 1930s cinema. And it, it works so well. It's so effective that the, the movie is just breathtaking. Yeah, it, it was a beautiful movie. I love the black and white and the and the sets. I wonder, I, I would love to have heard the discussion about approaching it. It was shot and it looked like a play. Now it is a play, but why would you choose to make a movie and build sets and shoot it very much like a play, as opposed to say what Zeffirelli did with um, Romeo and Juliet, where it was very cinematic. It was very, uh, very much a, a movie, even though it was the play of Romeo and Juliet. I, I'm just curious about that. I, I'm not saying one is better than the other. It's just, a, it's an interesting choice to, to use the medium of cinema, but stage it and shoot it very much like a proscenium type play there i mean there have been so many adaptations of it that have run the gamut of theatricality over the you know like this is the opposite of uh polanski so critically different what's the there's a version of it with john Turturro. the story's been transposed to the mafia and it's just a it's a, like a crime caper uh as I, hmm. I think it's called um i think it's called men of honor or something and the character's been renamed mcbetty and they call him Mac, or so. but it, and it's a it's a great it's a great film. But it is it is the opposite. It is the how does this function in cinematic space where you're dealing with real world interiors? And I just thought it was so refreshing to see it staged with considerations for theatricality more in line with what it would be in a, in, a, in a fixed space like a stage. I thought I thought it was awesome. Um, whether or not the choice was reactionary to other versions of it, I don't know. But it's definitely you know the opposite of a lot of other film adaptations we've had in the last 20, 30 years. Sam, Men of Respect is the film you're talking about. Men of John Respect, Turturro. that's it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh wow. It, it's one. awesome. Yeah. It, yeah, it's awesome if you haven't seen it. It is an interesting point, though, Carrie, because it occurred to me as well, it feels like they're using stage direction for a lot of the sets, and I think from a production design perspective, but I don't get the sense that it's filmed like a stage play. In other words, we get changing points of view, we get over the shoulders. You know, In other words, they seem to be using the language of cinema, but the production design, I think, is very heavily influenced by sort of a, a stage approach. And Sam, when you talked about some earlier Hollywood takes on this, I'm curious whether you see this as a differential or hearkening back to that time period. It is so apparent that Carl Dreyer's films uh, and Murnau and, and some of the, the high, uh, high German silent film is heavily, heavily influential here. And some of that stuff functions in a similar capacity. I, I haven't seen Passion of Joan of Arc in, in years, but I do recall it being staged in a similar way. And, you know, to a certain extent, the practicality of that staging was because moving the camera was a new thing. Like, you know what I mean? Like when Murnau does these incredible tracking shots in Sunrise, it, it blew people's socks off because nobody laid fucking dolly track before. So I think to the extent that it was a novelty and an exploration of medium then 
versus a reappropriation of that visual language. Now, I think that's a debatable topic. You know, they, they may have, as a team, when prepping this, just watched that stuff and fallen in love with that language and said, this, this is an effective medium by which we can communicate idea without it being the, you know, the revelatory process of movie making in a new way. It may have just been like, this is fucking cool. Let's do this. You know, it doesn't necessarily make it a bad approach. I just think, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a tool. And even if it's only one of the Coen brothers, there's nothing accidental in a Coen film. <laughs> I don't know. Intolerable cruelty. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The fifth film on our list is West Side Story. Production design, Adam Stockhausen. And set decoration, Rena DeAngelo. What a victory lap this thing is for those guys. My goodness. Uh, I absolutely adored it. It's criminally boring, this movie. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> but part of that is because it is so effective in being a big Hollywood musical that there is nothing technically bad in any particular shot by which you can critically judge the rest of the movie. Like it's fucking perfect. The whole movie is perfect. And because of that, uh, I spent the entire time going like, El Gore's kind of boring. Um, it is like, it's such a masterclass. I can't imagine a scenario in which it doesn't take home best picture and, and best production design. There's nothing, you know, it is a sort of stoic reminder that reactionary heartfelt, genuine, important film is a reaction to the fact that we had 25 years of movies like this from 1946 until 1960. Well, that's 15 years, but you, you know what I mean? Um, uh, the scope of this thing is like Cleopatra, like the, how, how, the, how movies like this can still be made is mind, mind boggling to me. Uh, I, was, I was absolutely, absolutely blown away by this picture. I think my only regret for this movie is not seeing it on the big screen. I did see it um, on a on a television, which I think to appreciate it more, you have to see it on the big screen. So for me, I'm not sure if it was the color on my TV or, or what it was, but the movie in a whole, I did enjoy. It didn't really blow me away or knock my socks off. Can I ask, did you watch, did you watch it as a stream or did you watch it as a DVD? No, I watched it as a stream. Because the what's happening is with the streaming is that the the darks the blacks are getting truncated because I saw the first half of it on a big screen and then I watched the screener the DVD screener and it is it is night and day you gotta go see this thing in a theater well that's it what it probably wild. is because it it took me out of the film and in the beginning I thought I was watching like CGI it actually made me dizzy because it was so like desaturate it. And then all of a sudden it was bright. And then it was just kind of like, it just looked, the background looked fake to me. Yeah. So I do have to see it on the big screen. I did enjoy the movie. I thought the sets looked beautiful um, in that part. I'm also a huge fan of the original West Side Story. So that was always in the back of my head, like, oh, how could they redo this movie? You know, why, why, why? But I think he did a great job. I'm not a fan of Ansel What's his name? Al no, yeah, but, it's like watching a crow magnet in a movie yeah. full of beautiful aliens. <laughs> For me, Anita was the whole movie. The sets, the costumes, though, were you know beautiful. They did it really well. 
I would have hated to have been on that set dressing crew and, and putting <laughs> those brooks everywhere. And I mean, storefront after storefront and awning yeah, after wild. awning. And um, yeah, they did a great job. But um, surprisingly, so much more of the movie is uh, is practically built than you think. And part of that is. Oh, no, I know. Spielberg's been using Kaminsky for going on 20 years now. Yeah. And if you, if you look at even like uh, that, that the fourth Indiana Jones movie, those are all practical sets. And he loves those flares and everything gets so milky in his backgrounds with his lighting packages that it looks like CG, but that's all, that's all real shit. They built it. It's crazy. It's that movie's crazy. Yeah. It was all shot on location in New Jersey too. It was. Uh, yeah. And like Patterson of, and Newark and yep. Yeah. Not and using New, the actual New Zealand. area. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> New Zealand. Yeah. And I heard they uh, stole a shot in uh, Montana as well. So. <laughs> I would have loved to have worked on that to, as, as a set dresser. That kind of dressing is just exciting. You know, that's what you, my, me and my crew would really just sink our teeth into that. And it's, and then at the end of the day, you can stand back and go, yeah, we did that. And from a set dresser standpoint, even though I haven't seen the movie, I, I know a lot of the guys that were on it. I heard a lot of stories about it mm -hmm. and I just, yeah, what a great opportunity to, to have that. That's one of those unique opportunities in which not just props, but set dressing plays an integral role in interactivity with the action during musical sequences. You know, you bump into a pinball machine and the fucking, the lights go off or slide down a bench. You know, these construction and set deck related elements needed resets like they were props because of action during musical sequences that is all timed out. Uh, the logistics behind that stuff, you know, you, that has to be mapped out with timing, with, you know, with sensitivity towards playback. Like it, that, I, I just, I can't believe they made this movie. It's crazy. It's such a movie. It's such a, it's such a movie in such an impressive way. What a, uh, what a masterclass. Yeah. What a masterclass. I, wanna, I just want to call out Phil Canfield and his crew. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was going to say that to you, uh, <laughs> Carrie. I was going to say, yeah. give Phil a call. He'll, he'll tell you some really good stories because I just worked with him recently and he told me all about it. They had, they had some really hard nights. Hard job. I, I bow down to Phil and his crew. Yeah. He's like, you know, top tier and um, nothing but respect there. Yeah, they did a good job. Awesome. Great job. Incredible. But Carrie, watch it on the big screen. Don't don't uh, don't be like me. I have to watch it again. All right. I'll get two tickets. We'll go together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did catch a problem when I watched some of it again last night, which was that I could be wrong about this, but I believe that in the police station scene, the floor tiles are 12 by 12 instead of eight by eight. They should have been eight by eight. Uh, they should have ripped the, the lino down to look like asbestos and they didn't. They kept it at 12 by 12 and it ruined the movie for me. <laughs> I didn't catch that one. <laughs> well, this looks like a really strong set of films the way you've described them. I'm curious if there are other films that came out last year that you'd also like to give a shout out. I think Belfast was pretty effectively designed, but was plagued by kind of overbaked cinematography that that hurt the production design of the film. I think if it, if if there had been a more subtle hand in terms of the look of that movie for camera, that I think more attention uh, would have been paid to the production design. It says I, I wasn't. Some of it wasn't perfect. I didn't like the living room uh, of the house, but I thought overall that was a pretty pretty fantastic looking looking movie. And as, as much as I was making jokes off the record, 
the scope of King Richard was pretty impressive that in terms of what was necessary, it is period, even though it's relatively subtle. But that that was a that was a, a fantastic film and probably a, a bit of a bear to get right, especially when there's a historical record that is that easily accessible and that much to live up to and that that relatively proportionally recent. It was well considered and and really well executed. And there's a lot of logistics, especially during COVID, behind doing crowd work like that and you know all the tennis court stuff. So those two, I thought, I thought were were moderately impressive as well. For me, I thought it was a really exciting year for movies. Great year. Couldn't watch enough of them. But going back to some that I think may or I would have liked to see in the category, maybe instead of West Side Story. Sorry, Sam. I would have liked to have seen French Dispatch. I think that was totally overlooked. I didn't really love the movie itself, but I thought it had a great look to it, but all Wes Anderson movies do. And I think Rena and uh, Adam did a great job on that because everything was kind of like a little vignette of these different sets. And they went back and forth from black and white to color. And I just thought it was really beautifully done. It's not nominated for best animated feature. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, no, but it was nominated for a BAFTA, which I'm glad they got that, uh, that award in. I did like the way Belfast looked. I thought that was a really uh, beautiful movie again. And I, I love the way uh, when I found out that they built that whole street. I think that was a, a big undertaking. Did like King Richard. And I think those movies get overlooked because it is, uh, it is a period film, but it just seems, you know, like 2000, 1990s, like who, you know, those movies get overlooked. They just don't, people don't put those in the category of like best production design. I don't know why, but they should be. I did like Cruella. I thought Cruella was a good-looking movie, fun movie to do. And Cyrano wasn't the best movie, but it was beautiful-looking. Those are my picks. I might have missed a few, so if I did, I'm sorry to the people out there. I don't have much to add to that. I uh, have not seen most of those movies. French Dispatch is the only one that I thought probably should have gotten a nod that I had seen. But, yeah, so I agree with you on that, Regina. Oh, and the, and the, Paul, the Paul Thomas Anderson. Licorice Pizza. Like, yeah. Was that 2021 or was that 2022? It's 2021. Was it? Yeah, actually, I just saw that last night and I, I enjoyed that. And uh, the only reason why I didn't mention that was I thought it was a 2022 release. So. No, it's nominated for Best Picture. Oh, it is? Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, Regina, two of the films you mentioned, Cruella and Serrano, were nominated for costumes. What else was nominated for Best Costume Design? Uh, those two and then round it out with Dune, Nightmare Alley, and West Side Story. Yeah, see, that's that's another example where it's like, uh, obviously, King Richard is a, is a great uh, bellwether or like movies like I, Tanya, where it's moderately recent history. I think there's more attention paid to costume design oftentimes than there is production design. So that doesn't prove my point, but uh, that's how I feel. And I think that... Uh, <laughs> Regular listeners know uh, that it brought up similar concerns about how contemporary or close contemporary really doesn't get recognized in these categories to the degree that it should. Really? Yeah, they don't. That being said, we can't fix the Oscars, but we are always welcome to bring your insights here. We love hearing what you guys have to say about this. Thanks so much for joining us once again. We can't fix the Oscars, but we can fix the Globes (laughs) with a little money. (laughs) Take care, guys. We'll see you again next year. All right. Thank you. Thank you. See you, everyone. Bye. 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 Listeners, that's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast, please visit our website, belowthelineoneword.biz. That's B-I-Z. 
It's easy to peruse past episodes, and you'll find links to all of our social media. That includes our page on IMDb, where, as I mentioned earlier, you can learn more about my guests. Thanks to Curtis Five for our music, John Juan for our logo, and all of you for sticking with us. Please rate us wherever you get your podcasts, and tell your friends. Thanks again from Below the Line. Is there a visual effects category in the Oscars? Yes. There is. Mm-hmm. Carrie, I'm going to edit out that you asked that because uh, well, it's embarrassing. No, there is. <laughs> it's that's, embarrassing that I didn't know that. <laughs> that's uh, uh, episode 10 of this season. Come back, Carrie. We'll have an analysis of the nominees for visual effects and we'll give you some insights on, on how those are assessed as well. It's, it's all right. We'll just change your question in post production. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Speaking of fixing in post, I don't mean to out geek it, Carrie, but I'm pretty sure that in the Frank Herbert universe, this is an extrapolation from current day Earth. They are humans have gone to the stars, and it is 10, 20,000 years or something, but they do is it? Oh, wow. carry forward uh, our Earth tradition. So it's I will not say it's probably lost. been 40 years since I read the book. So <laughs> <laughs> you might even have to go deeper than the first book. It might be book nine or 10 where they finally start talking about Earth or, you know, that. Oh, well, that, that's, finally that doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> All right.